welcome to the Discard Pile Podcast. On this week's episode, we have gone through the worst games we have ever played and picked out some of the gems that we think shouldn't be on that list. According to BGG. Yeah, let's face it. Over 25,000 games have been recorded on Board Game Geek alone. Not all of them are going to be winners, but we've got some from Robin and Aby that uh, we think have been underestimated somewhat. We went through all the terrible games we played and picked out some good ones so that maybe you can play them too and uh, hopefully enjoy some games that everyone else thinks is rubbish. It's, it's hard to find. AB's played a, the, definitely the most terrible games and found some good According ones in BGG. There. <laughs> That's right. He's got quite the list to share with us, which is great. We played some of them, but not all of them. I have a couple as well. But let's start off the list. Should we start with the lowest rated game on our entire list here? Yeah, so rank 17,395, which is... More surprising given the recent knowledge that there are only 25,000 yeah, logged crazy. on BGG. So this is very low. It was a 2018 game. And well, partly because it is a re-implementation to a game called What's It To Ya? And that's a 2018 version of called Say What? What with three A's. So Say What? <laughs> is the title. And it is a three to 10 player game in the party game uh, category where one of the players becomes the judge and they secretly define a ranking of five seemingly unrelated items. The other players of the table are just trying to guess that ranking and score points for each correct guess. So this is like in the strange area of party games. And there's a few that do this where it's about knowing the people at the table. So like guessing and, and being surprised at at like their rankings of things. Um, so yeah, it's definitely one that isn't well known, I think, but has stayed in my collection. So, Is the ranking supposed to be the what the person finds most important or brings them the most joy? Or is there any like... Yeah, I think it's just most important. And then you have to discuss... And part of the game is like discussing as a group why <laughs> why it's more important. I'd play this. This sounds great. Yeah, sorry. So, for example, one of the five items could be like friends, laughter, attitude, family, sleep. And so you have to like rank them against each other. Mm, yeah, that is very difficult. Yeah. Or like art, chocolate, um, that kind of thing. So it's like really different categories. So sometimes you have things that are just surprising how someone would rank them in importance against each other cool we should play this seems like a fast game and we can all say we played a game that is seventeen thousand in the in the bgg rankings very cool the next game is rank fourteen thousand six hundred ninety six. so not that much better it is a 2021 title uh nuts a go-go and a lot of these like i was, I was saying earlier before the podcast was um I think a symptom that they're Asian uh, publishers and oh. haven't gotten a reprint over here. And, you know, I think in general, BGG in Japan, Taiwan, China isn't, you know, doesn't have like the hugest user base. Uh, so it's probably has not gotten ranked as highly as it would. But yeah, this one is called Natsugogo and it's a set collection game, I would say. Semi, a little bit of dexterity to it because in, this are many different shapes of nuts. I'm, I'm using air quotes for some reason, but listeners cannot, cannot see that. But they're different wooden shaped uh, nuts. You have a little cup 
and you're trying to gather all these different shapes into your cup as quickly as possible. And then once a, a player is done, they kind of grab a marker and everybody has, I think, five seconds or so to like finish grabbing items into the cup. And then the next phase, one at a time, you take turns naming a piece and showing the piece from your cup. And then all players then have to discard one piece of that type. If they cannot, you're eliminated from the round and the other players continue until only one player uh, remains. So it's really about like diversity of shapes, but you can also, there, there is a bit of like, in terms of gaming, when you, how many pieces you name, uh, depending on how many players are in the game. Yeah, it's interesting. These like race dexterity games tend to all feel very similar to me. That's a cool twist. I don't think I love this one as much as the previous entry, just because once you find one good dexterity game, it can kind of substitute for everything else, in my mind at least. But it, the nuts look funny, and I think if you don't own a dexterity game, this one seems great. Yeah, I didn't know if it's the first dexterity game I would, <laughs> I would because <laughs> the dexterity element isn't high right. in it. You know, it, it's more like a a quick like set collection. I mean, Jim, you played it. Yeah, uh, and we recently played another game that's quite similar, right? Yeah. Um, Drop Polter. Drop Polter, which is an Oink title uh, that released in 2023. Yeah, and in that one, it's similar gameplay, the idea of being uh, basically... Well, is it similar to gameplay? It's both dexterity-based, and you both have things in your hand that it's you're trying to reveal. It's very different that it's like more of a race element. Uh, yeah, drop alter, drop alter. You're you're you have the same items in your hand, and you have to drop the items that correspond to the card that's revealed in the middle. So much more frantic. Yeah. Um, rating aside, I mean the barrier of entry for Natsugogo to get a bit technical is going to be on the massive amount of wooden pieces in this game, which is a bit of commitment money wise for you know a 10 to half an hour dexterity game which is probably why it's ranked so low because the gameplay is pretty fun it's 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 very gimmicky it's something you would want to just fill 10 to 20 minutes with but i think it's packaged as a fairly expensive game and it's probably a large reason why it hasn't done so well in the americas yeah i don't think it's gotten a lot of reprints but um yeah probably probably hard to find and why it is low it's cute, it's gimmicky. If I saw it at a board game library, I'd be like, hey, let's kick off the day with Nuts A Go Go. But it's a, it's a hard commitment. Yeah, I think the things that are going to keep, like the reason we pulled them out of the, the pile of games that we've played that are low rated on BGG is because of a gimmick or something that it does differently. And I think maybe you're right. Like if you saw this at a board game cafe, you could pull it out and be like, hey, this is a funny little thing. You probably had never played anything quite like it. Uh, let's give it a go. And I think that's going to be a, a large reason why a lot of our games are on this list. Like the next one, for example. Sherlock. Sherlock is the definition of a gimmick, basically. Um, if you've ever played those games, spot the difference. It is speed, spot the difference. And it seems like this wouldn't be fun at all, uh, and that you've done this a million times as a child, and this is a boring activity. But Sherlock finds a way to make it interesting and unique and fast and fun. So the way it works is you flip over two cards and you have to find the differences between those cards. And then you 
guess how many differences there are. Um, there's a bunch of cardboard standees around the table. They all have numbers on them. If you think there is three differences between the two cards, you grab the standee. People will start grabbing standees, and that's your bid on how many differences you think are between the cards. The really smart thing that this game does is that it's really easy to check the differences on the card. You just flip them both over, and there are missing things or added things on all the cards, and then it clearly shows you where those things are, and you just count them up. So you'll never have a problem that two cards will have too many differences or too many similarities, and it's a really simple system. Uh, and for people that love a good spot the difference, it works really well, and it's super gimmicky and super fun. Have you guys played this? Yeah, I think I played it with you. I remember being extremely bad at it, but I remember enjoying it. So, Yeah, it's the same thing. I think if you know someone that like spots the difference or you have a bunch of kids that would enjoy something like that, it is very unique, and the premise is explained in 30 seconds, and everyone around the table immediately gets it. It's such a cultural like thing that everyone understands what's going on, and, and the game is just doing it as fast as you can. So I don't think it's a great game, but I think it fills a niche that is very unique, and that's why it's on the list, even though it's the 11,000th rated game on BGG. What else do you have on your list, Amy? Uh, the next one on my list is ranked 13,712. Not that much higher than my previous one. It is called CoinQuest. This one is not in my collection, but it's one that I've been meaning to like do my own print and play version of it because mm -hmm. the original version is just very bad looking. And if you look at this on BGG, you'll understand <laughs> what I mean about it. Uh, but it is a bag building game. And one of the ones that I still think about because I do like that, like it's very pure bag builder is that like, it's about coin collectors and you are pulling coins from your bag and spending them as currency to like purchase better coins and you're bidding for uh, lots of better coins. Lots meaning like bidding lots, not <laughs> a numerous amount of it. Um, and it's a sort of hidden bidding game. Like you are putting bids behind your board, uh, your player screen, and yeah, revealing it and you, it basically determines who wins certain lots of coins, uh, which are victory points as well. Yeah, I think this falls into the same camp as just being weird and interesting and something that I've never really seen anything like it before. Uh, I don't think I was super big on the blind bidding mechanic that mm -hmm. it had, but the whole idea was really cool. Yeah, Jim, did you play this one? I think we played it uh, at a cafe day or pre-game before our normal gaming session. I remember how, I don't want to be negative throughout this whole thing, but I remember how like bad it looked graphically. Like yeah, that's it, the one it thing. It does that's... look bad graphically. Yeah. yeah. I would love for you to take this and re-theme it, remaster it. But I remember gameplay. Uh, I love blind bidding. I in general love auction games just because uh, in a lot of really fun auction games, it's up to the players to decide what kind of auction it's going to be monetary wise or asset wise it, it's fun to see how people value different things in a game and after the first kind of reveal it's amps pretty fast from there so mm -hmm. uh, yeah i think it's another one of those games that is a victim to its own kind of shoddy presentation because i liked it <laughs> i thought it was really fun yeah it was it's an interesting combination that I've, you don't see a lot which is deck building and auction so mm -hmm. yeah kind of or sorry bag building and, and auction 
and surprisingly, I thought bag building would be more prevalent. Uh, but you know, nothing is really, you know, not too many come out has have come out since this one. Yeah, I in some ways I understand like pulling chits out of a bag sometimes feels a little cheap and gimmicky. Like if they get stuck in the corners, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And cards seem to always kind of work better. You can just have more information on the cards. But I I agree, there could be more. The next one on my list is a big jump from 13,000 to 8,944. And uh, it is 5x5 City, uh, released in 2018. And this one is by a pretty well-known um, Japanese designer, Hisashi Hayashi. And, you know, has done... You know, a lot of notable games like Yokohama, Trains, Metro X, uh, Sail to India. So a lot of games to his name, but this one hasn't gotten North American distribution. Uh, and so likely why it is not well, uh, you know, well ranked. Uh, just because you do actually need paste ups uh, to in order to play it because there's a little bit of language on some of the cards. But this one is it's a tile lane game or tile placement game, you're building a 5x5 city grid uh, on your player board with nine different buildings, and each one scores in a different way. And that's what's determined by the scoring cards. Uh, There's different sides to these cards, so you can mix and match the scoring conditions. And it kind of feels like very close to like a roll and write game, but it's a tile, tile lane game. I really like tile placement puzzles, and this one has an interesting twist is that you have to draft uh, pairs of tiles each turn, and they have to be placed uh, next to each other. Mm, so it's kind of like build your own dominoes. Yeah. So the draft really is is tough, and and what you decide to what buildings you decide to like get into. Yeah, and you can place the buildings in only like a certain area each round. Yeah, that's the caveat. Yeah, I really like this one. I think I played it with you, Ab. And but I I love tactical games that kind of encourage people to think on the fly and to there's just so many restrictions coming at you every time that card flips to determine uh, where you can place what you can place and what scoring's available. So this ticks all those boxes and plays really fast as well. I'm sensing a theme with a lot of these lower ranked games so far. Maybe they'll change later on with some of our other games, but a lot of them are pretty fast lighter games that does something fun that might not be presented in a very great way but um this one is nice though this one is like nice illustrations and stuff just hard to find and hard to Mm -hmm. do paste-ups for and that was five by five city all right my next game is a game called cahoots from 2018 there are two games called cahoots that were made in 2018 the one I'm talking about is the noir-esque artsy cover, uh, and it's a trick-taking game. And in this game, you play cards into a trick, and you want certain suits to win certain or to win all the tricks. At the beginning of the game, you're dealt a little card, and it says like you want hearts and spades to win all the tricks. And every point, every time a heart or a spade wins a trick, then you get a point. But there's also someone else at the table that also gets a point because every suit is shared by at least two players. So you're always thinking, okay, I want spades to win a bunch of tricks, but then I want to look at the other player that has spades and I want their 
secondary suit to lose every trick possible. So you're always helping someone, but you want to be helping the people that benefit you the most. And so you Um, know that information, what the other players are looking for. Exactly. Or do you have to deduce it? No, you know the information, but you're trying to position yourself and to try to figure out what cards players have in their hand so that at the end of the the last three tricks, you can win all the tricks that you need to with the suits you need to win. Um, There's a nice little thing that you always play like two tricks and then you pull back a card. So um, the last couple tricks have a bunch of really high numbers and you have a little bit more choice over what cards end up in your hand in the last couple tricks. But uh, yeah, it's just a cool little quick game and I don't really see it around very often, but um, definitely one that we should all play together since AB is so into trick taking these days. <laughs> and yeah, one that I, I quite like. I like the, the tactical nature of always uh, helping someone and, and just the little table talk of like, oh, thanks for that. I really appreciate those points. That's really kind of you. Or like just t- talking to another player and saying, we cannot let hearts win another trick or else, you know, we're done. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fun. It's co- It's not cooperative, but it, it has that semi cooperative nature to it and it's quick. It's easy. Mm-hmm, like semi partnership almost. Yes, exactly. But you're partnered with everyone else at the table all the time. Right. But, for different tricks, for different suits. Yeah. That's cool. Like the web of partnerships. Yeah. Do you always know the relationships? Yes. So like you have a card in front of you that will say like spades hearts and then someone else will have spades diamonds and then someone else will have diamonds hearts. And there's six suits. So depending on player count, you will okay, share okay. more or less depending on how many suits are in the game. Um, I think in a three player game, you share you have one suit that is your own i think in a three-player game and then you share one suit with both other players mm-hmm. uh, so it's very hard to make your own suit win a trick because no one but you wants that to happen <laughs> but anyway if you start a trick and saying like oh let's let's get make spades win someone might actually help you to do that because you'll both get a point but if you if you have the only one that has hearts uh then no one is going to help you mm-hmm. win a, a trick with hearts yeah, it's a cool one. Definitely one we should play. That is Cahoots 2018, the trick taking game. What's the rank on it? Cahoots is 7,779. Okay, so pretty low. Pretty low. Uh, my next one is ranked 8,600, so just lower than <laughs> Cahoots, but <laughs> yep. it is Voltreffer, and this is a 1999 release. And this one is a uh, trick taker. And. I think you guys have both played this one. Um, it is a trick-taking game with three phases. Uh, you are trying to get a target score of 61 to 70 in the game. And there's, you know, if the multiple players end up in there in the same round, it's the closest to 66. Um, but the caveat is that you can overshoot it. You can, if you score higher than 70, you actually loop back. Um, so after 80 points, you actually loop back to 41. So it is, it is really a score about, you know, timing and, and trying to hit a specific threshold. Uh, but the three phases of the game are the first phase, you're drafting cards and you're playing, paying by points. Uh, so you're paying points for your hand of cards. Uh, one at a time, you reveal cards and each player buys uh, cards from the market. And then once everyone has eight cards, uh, in the second phase, you kind of reveal either three of a kind or 
uh, diversity of colors or the smallest sum of numbers, and those players score points for that. Um, smallest sum of your entire hand, meaning. And then the third phase, you play a standard trick-taking card game. Um, so you you play it uh, out eight hands, and each winner scores points. Um, yeah, do you guys remember this one? Yes, very much so. Same. I really enjoyed this one. Is that a similar sentiment from you, Robert? No, this game was not fun and broke my brain. <laughs> but I know that I'm just not the target audience, and I know this is a good game. And I think it's it could be one of those amazing games that like your family brings out uh, once a month or every Christmas, and you you start to learn the the nuances to it and what works and what doesn't work. I think the one play I had of it, I just really didn't understand at all the yeah how to how to get points it's a complex game there's a lot yeah, of things because you don't want to overbid it's kind of like medici in that you're bidding with points and you kind of don't want to overbid for a certain value in your hand and there's a lot about what other players are trying to collect and and also you can kind of sense how's how the hand the trick-taking portion is going to uh, play out because you're you're kind of getting sense of what cards people are buying and what suits people are buying because there is a trump suit that's revealed and you know that information going into the the trick taking phase um, so there is a lot of nuances to it um, yeah I, I think my play so far have been really cool and just seeing how people develop a meta <laughs> uh, yes. throughout the game yeah, it seems like exactly that. That if you played this 20 times, a meta would form, and every one of those 20 times, interesting things would occur, I bet. Um, it, it seems like a really... A lot of games these days, they're very s simple and easy to learn, but they also have a lot of constraints. Like, the amount of leeway you have to break the game or do things that are not good are, is not there. And this game lets you mess up as much as you want, but it also lets you do really smart and interesting things yeah you can definitely definitely mess up <laughs> have you seen the various versions of this game out there maybe uh yeah like the boxing one yeah there's a, there's a boxing <laughs> theme yeah and there's the one i have is the kind of underground labyrinth japanese one and so yeah. it's like kind of like a quest theme but yeah i think the original theme was a boxing theme or something like that. <laughs> like fighting? Fighting, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Valtreffer is German for direct hit. Which oh. kind of makes sense. It's it's all people that are shooting or throwing things. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, I see. Right. There's a guy with there's a guy with like a pie. <laughs> yeah. He's throwing, yeah. Pie. throwing a pie. He's okay. the one. He's yeah. not very strong. Ah, very yeah. cool. Uh, yeah, I love a lot about this game. I like games in phases where you're like building up your hand or your deck. Uh, and there's multiple ways to do that in this game, which is really interesting. You know, you can try drafting like powerful cards. that will get you closer to that, uh, to that score, that you overall scoreline you want without going over. Or there's the other option of like drafting multiples or... Drafting cards to create poker hands, which you can just cash in instantly for points, uh, as opposed to trying to like win every trick. So, multiple lines of play, multiple lines of strategy makes this definitely a game I love to revisit. 
Mm-hmm. And that was Voltreffer. Uh, the next game on my list is ranked 7,278, and that is Tricks and the Phantom from 2017. Uh, and this one is a little, you know, it's surprising and not surprising at the same time that it's ranked low. Like, surprising because the publisher is actually quite well-known, which is Oink Games, and a lot of their games are are pretty popular. The unsurprising part is that this one does take a at least a play to even wrap your head around what's going on. In Tricks of the Phantom, it is a deduction game mixed with a very simple trick taker. There are only 11 cards uh, available. You can play with 10 or 11, depending on the difficulty you want. Um, and you're trying to deduce uh, the culprit from among the four persons played at the, at the table. Uh, so you, each round in the game, you only have a hand of two, two cards. Depend, well, depend, a lot depends on player count. But yeah, you play one card face down in turn order and you forecast, you're trying to forecast who has the highest card, which is the culprit in the, yeah, it's it's very convoluted just to explain <laughs> what's going on. But it's an interesting mix of like dedu- deduction and because um, there's a lot of information available uh, at the table. Do you guys both play this? Yeah. Yeah, multiple times. It's a game where basically high card wins with some caveats depending on if certain cards are in the game. So it's like the cards are 1 to 10 and, you know, usually the number 10 or the highest card would be the culprit, but uh, one card is dealt out and then if the 1 is in the game, then it seats anyone with the 9 or something like that. So... um, there's a lot of caveats, uh, which makes it a bit, uh, which, you know, there has to be when you're playing a social deduction game. And it's interesting because this is like supposed to be a classic oink small box game, but it's social deduction and a bit of bluffing as well. So it's not easy to pick up, as AB said, but once it clicked for me, I was like, this is a game I want to play like two to three times before putting it away in one sitting yeah like the, the rounds are so fast yeah <laughs> yeah i agree it takes some time to learn what's going on exactly and how to play it and i i think it's a really interesting game that people should try especially if you like social deduction or maybe not even d- social deduction but just like logical deduction as well mm-hmm. because you have enough information that you do start to be able to figure some things out even in just the two rounds that you play uh, so that's kind of yeah, cool there's a tiny bit of bluffing which is like yes. the phantom cards you can uh, in the game, you kind of hint at other players what you've played face down by putting a token, which has to be true in most cases. Like if there are three suits and they define the range of numbers. So high, medium and low in the deck. And you either play a red, uh, yellow or blue token on your card. But the phantom, you can play any of them. So as the phantom, you can try to bluff that you're playing a certain number. So yeah, I think there's a little bit of little bit of buffing, but mostly logical deduction. Yeah, it's cool. It's definitely worth a play. I, I don't know if it's the kind of game that you're going to play more than a dozen times uh, once your group kind of figures it out. But maybe, yeah, maybe you can do two dozen, but I think it will. But I think those first 12 plays or so are really, really interesting and worth the money all by itself. And that was Tricks of the Phantom. My next game is only only 3,971 
on the list of worst games on Board Game Geek. And this is Plucking Pears. Uh, this is another kind of party social game where you're trying to figure out what other people are thinking. And the way it does it, I think, is really clean and really and, and done really well. And, and all you do is you put out seven pictures. Usually they're objects. Um, so it might be a picture of a golf ball, a picture of a pear, a picture of a sunset. And you put these seven pictures out and all you have to do is link six of the pictures in pairs. So if um, I have three pairs of pictures and then I have one, the seventh picture all by itself, I secretly write down which ones I've paired together based on what I think is the most reasonable pairings. And then everyone reveals and you get points based on how many other people said the same thing as you. You, If someone else said, oh, yeah, the orange is round and the golf ball is round. Obviously, I put those two together. If someone said, oh, this picture of a snowy mountain is white and the golf ball was white, I put those things together. Uh, those people that paired properly, that made the same grouping, the same pairs, get points. Uh, and if you had this, the one photo by itself without a pair, you also get points for that. And that's the whole game. You play a couple rounds of that. You see who has the most points. And that's it. So it's just like, how do you pair things together? Uh, how do you think like someone else? It's not super exciting or anything like that, but I think it's really simple and a lot of people can play this game. It's a great family game and one that I still enjoy and still bring out when people are maybe a little bit hesitant to play a board game. Uh, Plucking Pears, anyone can play. Have you guys played this? I don't think I have. No, give me, give me two seconds because it sounds very familiar to another game we've played. So this game reminds me of Bella, which is... A game from the Dixit universe uh, where cards get laid out in front of you and you're trying to like relate as many cards to a given word. Ultimately, at its core, these two games are similar in my mind because they kind of examine how the players think amongst one another, both like, oh yeah, I would relate these two cards and pluck and pairs because, as Robin might say, uh, they both contained orange balls but is that the same connection that someone else at the table is going to make and i really enjoy games where you can kind of play the players as a, as much as you're playing the game itself so uh, it leads up to some great moments especially at the reveal stage i imagine so yeah and people just trying to justify how they paired some random yes together <laughs> like it's kind of like the conversation at the end of the round is also part of the game or like totally yeah i think I think I would really enjoy this because I actually just played a recent release, like the same game yeah. by Wolfgang Warsh. And that kind of reminds me of, the, it, you know, it's not very similar in gameplay wise, but like what you're trying to do is make connections. Um, have you guys looked into that one? Yeah, it looked good. Yeah, it's really cool where you're just trying to you have all these attributes and you're trying to name two objects uh, that are related, but only in one category of all the categories available. So some of the categories mm -hmm. could be like, um, you know, intended use, uh, length, uh, you know, weight. And, and so you're trying to, to, or like complexity of construction, for example. Uh, so you're trying to, you know, like one of the examples we had was you're given one object, which the player was given bungee, uh, bungee rope. Okay, and then like his clue to the table was twine. 
so like it's only related in one single category uh, out of all mm-hmm. these and and you're trying to discuss as a group to see which one yeah which one is the the category they're most similar in yeah i heard people have really enjoyed this i haven't played it yet but yeah so i i think i would want to play this do you have a copy of this one i do i think i have two copies just because it's the kind of game you find for five dollars at like uh value village or something like that it's a pretty old game and it was mass market right so, are you gonna charge yeah. me like fifty dollars because it's out of print yeah, it's out of print, so definitely <laughs> yeah. a premium. I just like the idea that all the images and plug and pairs are like of things. They're the most basic things. objects. Yeah, yeah. like uh, with the Dexit style ones, where it's all like abstract art. People tend to have an easier time justifying things. I would like to see how like people pair up a garden hose with like an ant and try to justify that pairing. Well, they're found in your backyard, obviously. Uh, obviously. And we all put that jib except for you. So yeah, yeah, yeah I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, it is very funny. And, and a meta does kind of come through the rounds. Like if you if people start doing color as a large factor, then every time you see the cards, you're like, well, these two are both red. They have nothing <laughs> to do with each other. But is that what we're doing this time? I don't know. So, yeah, the group, uh, the group think is definitely there. Anyway, that is plucking pears. This would be a great game for like a, a stock image site to to put out. You <laughs> yeah, know? it does feel that way. Fucking pairs by Shutterstock. Yeah, and every image has like the the Shutterstock <laughs> yeah. logo. Yeah. yeah. My next game is ranked six thousand eight hundred thirty four, and that is Merchants of Dunhuang. And this one is put out by Mandu Games, a Korean publisher. You know, there's a lot of elements that are cool about this game. Like, really, the core of the game is the deck of cards, which is, you know, various goods with values 1 to 10. They also correspond to the number of cards that are in the deck. So if it's value 1, there's 1 in the deck. If there's value 2, there's 2 in the deck. If there's value 10, there's 10 in the deck. Uh, On your turn, you just move a camel on these character tiles in the middle. And beside each character tile is a card from the deck. So every time you move the camel, you get a one free move, and then you have to pay coins to move further. Uh, but then you can either take the action on the character tile, which a lot of times are like swapping cards or drawing cards from the deck and picking one or gaining coins for like further move later. Um, you can take the action on the character tile, or you can take the card beside the character and add it to either your hand or your shop uh, in front of you or your tableau. What you're trying to do in the game is collect majorities. Um, so every majority token is worth one victory point. And the majority of each of the goods in the hands is also worth points equal to the goods value. So for example, at the end of the game, if you have the most eights, you get eight points. Um, so the other thing that you have to watch for though, like you might be collecting like a bunch of high value cards, any player that has four different goods in hand and has collected four majority tokens immediately win the game. So there's a little bit of push and pull between between wanting to immediately win and trying to like, kind of like shoot the moon and, and do that within the game. And then also scoring well at the end, which is really like, um, you know, getting majorities in your hand because the majority tokens for cards in your tableau aren't worth much. Yeah, it's the game before the game on a game day. It's gamey for, like, just a deck of cards and, you know, some tokens. Uh, And I love the rondelle. I love the theme. I love the art. You know, similar to those games where you, do I keep this in hand for scoring or do I display it in my shop? Um, Yeah, just 
a nice level of both interaction and decision making in this one. Yeah, I think Jim Jim summarized <laughs> it. It's solid. No. It's not. I wish. The unfortunate thing is, it's not a very exciting game. If if you want like a controversial opinion on it, but it is very solid in what it does. It's hard to fault it because you're only really playing for twenty to thirty minutes, and uh, there are some tense moments of the game where you're starting to eye someone's shop and you're like, well, this person has the four different types of goods that they need to trigger endgame. If they get majorities, it's all over. Um, so, yeah, it's it's great for the moment of time that it exists for. Yeah, it's a great little filler. And, you know, surprisingly, like, people understand it pretty quickly. Like, it's not a complex game and all the actions available are on the table. Uh, so you just have to, like, kind of teach whatever like there's two sides to each action tile so you can mix and match like what's available each round um and it does change things change things up but at the core of it is just like set collection area majority so i think people understand it at least gamers understand it pretty quickly uh okay and the next one is rank 6723 it is a trick-taking game that was released in 2014 and it is called Lutz. I actually don't know how to pronounce it. It's L-U-Z. Luz? Lutz? Don't know. But uh, the caveat of this one is it's a trick-taking game, but you hold your cards with their face values to can be seen by the other players only. You only know uh, the colors of the suits in your hand. So you get the suits are on the back. Before the round, the other players organize the cards uh, by their highest to lowest in each suit and hand it to the next player so you know which ones are high potentially uh, in your hand and which ones are low but you don't actually really know that like where it sits until you start playing cards <laughs> and uh, you do get a little bit of information with like values that are in other people's hands uh, although you don't get perfect information because the whole whole deck isn't dealt out. This sounds really cool. I would love to play this. Do you have to remember what cards you have played? I guess you do. It's probably just not that hard. I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's probably easier than you're making it out to be. Because uh, as Amy mentioned, the cards are pre-sorted in front of you. So right. largely your first couple of rounds... Well, what you want to do is your first couple of rounds is just like information gathering. Okay, my middle card is seven, which means... I've got a lot of whatever cards in hand, low cards, high cards in hand. I have a mm -hmm. lot of high cards in hand. Um, uh, but where it all kind of falls apart is you need to bid how many tricks you're going to win in this game, right? Yeah. Each round. And it's probably <laughs> my favorite trick taker with my least favorite trick taking scoring system. But I mean, it, they go hand in hand in this game. Yeah, it is insanely fun. It's probably my favorite trick-taking game. Wow, okay. out. It's just like, at some point, you just have to let it ride. You don't yeah. know your cards. You kind of have an idea, and you just see chaos unfold. That's not to say you don't have like any <laughs> control over what's happening, but it's, it's a rare trick-taking game that has insanely fun moments. Of. Yeah, like every single time you are, you got a good sense of, you might have a good sense of what number you might be playing, but I'm going to play this orange card and it's going to be, and you think it's going to be a four or something, and it's like insanely high, like seven, <laughs> you know, so, so it's a, 
you know, there's a bit of unknown, which is which makes every turn kind of exciting or like kind of excruciating. <laughs> yeah, like I think in one game I had four out of the five ones in hand and I didn't know. <laughs> And I was just like, okay, that was a one. Surely the next couple should be slightly higher because that's that was like in the middle of my my hand, and just to be crestfallen but still laugh about how that all played out is is a really fun experience that you don't get in a lot of trick taking games. It's this all like cat in a box for trick taking games that create moments that are comparable to some of the bigger games I've played. Yeah, I think cat in the box is my favorite trick trick-taking game so uh, yeah listening to you say that definitely makes me interested in playing this one yeah and that was loots or loots lose <laughs> my next game is only 3781 on the list of board game keep games and that game is santo domingo Ooh. santo domingo is a great game and it's about hitting the uh when the iron is hot and taking advantage of uh other players thinking it's not time to be in certain places at certain times in this game you have a hand of cards everyone picks a card to play and you reveal and you take goods based on what card you've played if one or more players play the same card they have to split the goods uh and if a single player plays a card they get all the goods and slowly the goods build up over time and there's also cards that will convert your goods into points. Uh, and it works the same way. If you are the only player to convert goods into points, you can convert a bunch of goods into points. And if you have played goods into points when someone else has played it, you must only convert half as many as, uh, as you normally could. So it's just about being out of sync with everyone else, but also trying to double uh, think everyone and get out ahead of them before they realize that they should be picking cards uh certain cards in their hand it has a pirate theme which helps uh <laughs> me at least there's a sailing theme and it's super easy to play and always leads to big moments uh i don't know how much replayability this really has but uh it's a well-produced game that's fun to get to the table and one that i always enjoy when it comes out Yeah, I really like games that are simultaneous. I would say like simultaneous action selection. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. I've kept this just because it's it's you know such a quick version of it, um, and like ones that kind of incentivize multiple lots. So you're kind of reading the table and trying to you know see when it's worth it. And you know sometimes things get like way over <laughs> overvalued because people are like trying to avoid it thinking that they'll overlap with somebody but yeah it's one of my favorite mechanisms simultaneous action where there's some kind of impact if more than one person selects the same action yeah it's always a weird one where if there's not enough information you feel like you're in the dark and if there's too much information you feel like you need to calculate so i think Mm -hmm. this lands in a nice spot next week or this week i think hoping that we get to play septima which is the same sort of mechanic in a bigger game. And I'm always worried that if if that mechanic falls into too calculating or too random, you're going to have problems. So hopefully that one can also kind of stay right on that line of, of being interesting and fun at the same time. Just a, a game that isn't a party game. It's just a solid little uh, filler. And that is Santo Domingo. My number nine is 
a little bit of a cheat maybe, but it's ranked 6,214. And that is Word Slam Family Edition. And is rated significantly lower than the original game, which is Word Slam. Uh, but it's the one I've kept because it's such a smaller box size. It, it's like a tiny, like exit the game size box, um, which has all the gameplay of the larger game, which is Word Slam. And in this one, and actually Word Slam is rated 2,878, so not that much higher. Yeah. Uh, but 128 in the sort of party game category. Uh, and this one's purely a party game, is designed by uh, Inca and Marcus Brand. You know, pretty well known designers of like Village, Rajas of Ganges, and oh, the Exit series as well. And, and so this one, you have a bunch of word cards in front of you. You split the group into two teams. And it could be any size. Like I've played this uh, with like groups of like seven or eight, uh, teams of seven or eight. And you're all, two players are simultaneously on each team trying to put clues onto a rack. So words, uh, so like eat, yellow, and circle might be the words on it and you have to like try to guess what they're trying to communicate and each they each player is trying to communicate the same word so you can also listen to what the team is trying to guess or the other team is trying to guess and the first player that shouts out the correct word that team gets a point yeah this is kind of like pictionary but you don't have to draw instead you just shuffle through a deck and find words that fit the thing you want to try to explain to your team mm-hmm. and it works really well it's a great game. Yeah, I didn't know. Like, maybe why it's not popular is because it's not really like a visual presentation. It's just, it's just a bunch of words on the table. But the sort of speed element and trying to like find the best, like it's, it's kind of cool in that you're trying to find the most succinct way of explaining a clue. And they have these red cards in the box that are just like very hard words to try and <laughs> try and describe uh, to a team with only a limited vocabulary of words in front of you. Yeah, I do think the words you need to do the hard words because some of the easy words are too easy. Yeah, too easy. Like you know, if snow is one of the words, then someone will just find like white and sky before the other person, and then their team mm-hmm. will get the the word. And well, once you get the harder words, you you do need to work for it a little more. And the other nice thing is what you said: the more cards you put on the table, the harder it actually is to figure out what you're guessing. So a lot of the time, you just want to put a bunch of cards down and then start cutting, like putting cards back in the deck as you realize that your players are, or your teammates are kind of off on a tangent and you want to focus them back on certain areas of the cards you've chosen. So yeah, I think, I think it's a great game and it works really yeah. well and, uh, and it's quick and fun. Yeah. Some of the hard ones are like the hard red card words are like, like sumo wrestler or like grapefruit or something that is just like harder to get to. Right. Uh, and when you can't choose the words you have to work with, like it's a set deck of like 60 cards. So yeah, you roll a die cards. and you, you determine which, which of the uh, card on the or word on the card that the two players have to use. The right. teams have to guess. Yeah. Yeah. I also have this one in my collection as well. And it's just a fun one. It doesn't come out as often as it should just because party games are, there's many of them and we don't play them as much as we should. So this one doesn't often get at the table, but uh, when it does, it's always a hit. I don't know. It's not one of my favorites just because there's a bit of a dexterity element of searching through the decks of cards yes. to find what you think might be. The best way is to just lay out the cards. Like you need a big table, but you can lay out the cards. 
Yeah, it's effectively charades with cards, right? Yes. Yeah, with words, yeah. So you have to like that style of game. Mm-hmm. But the restricted vocabulary, it's like, you know, there's a- adjectives, verbs, and, and so, yeah, it's it's what makes the game is like just trying to figure out the best way to say something. Yeah. And then when you look over and the other players like, and the cool part is you're listening, you're listening to the other team. So if the other player does get to somewhere faster, your team also gets a bit of a clue and you can kind of play off that. Yeah, for sure. My next one is an old title, 1999. It is uh, on BGG. It's na- relationship tightrope. Uh, which is a weird, <laughs> a little bit of a weird theme. Uh, but the one I have is uh, the Japanese version uh, called Odd Socks. And so in this one, uh, yeah, a number of red or blue socks are up for grabs uh, on the table. Um, the highest card played of the hand will take the blue socks and the lowest tar- card will take the red socks. So each red sock will cancel a blue sock. So you want to be a well-balanced amount of socks uh, at the end of the round. And the goal is to score as few points as possible. So you want to balance your amount of red socks and blue socks. Yeah, and so you guys both played this. I do not remember this. Yes, but not with this art that I'm looking at. You got you to scroll to the socks. I'm it's blue socks, and, blue socks and red socks. Oh yeah, here they are. <laughs> I remember now. I remember. I remember the blue socks. Yeah. And the red socks. I don't remember the gameplay at all. Wait, is it just a trick-taking game? It's sort of. Yeah, there's there's a ranking of cards. So you have to look at your hand and see what you are likely to probably win and try to like get out of winning a certain amount of blue. Right. I remember now. If you have a bunch of high cards, you'll probably win a lot of blue. So you want to try to like avoid that as much as possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. play a couple rounds and, and that's it yeah but i think the caveat on this one is that like both the highest card and the lowest card will win something yeah i remember playing this i remember having a great time playing it and laughing a whole bunch uh i don't know if this is one that i would request again but <laughs> if you're looking for a trick-taking game this definitely was a trick-taking game or if you're a big fan of sock themed games a very underrepresented theme in today's modern board gaming the last one, Odd Socks, was at 5,134. So all the ones I've talked about are ranked 5,000 or higher. <laughs> My last game is rank 3,657 on Board Game Geek and is called Codex Card Time Strategy. And this is a game that re-implements or attempts to re-implement uh, a kind of 1v1 StarCraft-esque RTS. But it does it in a deck builder where the cards that you add to your deck come from a pre-selected deck of cards. And those cards come from like a binder. So when you play, you start with a, a deck of cards, you shuffle up like a normal deck building game, you draw some cards and you slowly add cards to your deck. But the cards that you buy to add from your deck come from a binder that you pick cards out of. You're basically trying to kind of counteract what your opponents are doing. So they add some cards to their deck they draw them, you get to see them as they play them, and, and you play a magic-esque dueling card game. Uh, and then you add cards to your deck from your binder that you think are good at countering their cards, or maybe you add some cards that you think that they won't be able to handle with their certain strategy. There's things like cloaked units where you need some sort of ability to decloak them 
to stop them from attacking you. There's different buildings that will let you build certain units or tech up to certain units that you wouldn't normally have access to. There's all sorts of like crazy haymakers once you get to the higher level cards at the end of the game. Um, and every deck has its own tech tree that you have to follow as you move up through the cards. It's really hard to explain, but it's basically if you mixed magic cards with a tech tree, with a deck builder, with an RTS. And it's just weird and wacky and all over the place. And I think if any of that sounds interesting to you, then you know right away that this is a game that you should try. And most of you think this sounds crazy and I do not want to invest any time or energy into this. And that's totally fine too. And that's the reason it's ranked so low. But I know that there are some people that would really, really love this game. Um, and I thought I'd just throw it yeah. out there and let people know it exists. Is it a complete game in one one box? Yeah. If you buy the core set, you get two factions and all the things to need to play the game. Oh, right. But it, you buy like little expansion sets, I guess. Yeah, you can buy an expansion set, which comes with two factions. You don't get like the playmats or whatever. Maybe they're like made out of paper instead of cardstock. But you once again get everything you need to play. And is it symmetrical? It's not... Well, in in that you're like playing the same decks. Yeah, like no. the binders. Yeah, no, they're completely different. Um, oh, so it's okay. kind of like playing Zerg against Protoss in StarCraft. You have completely right. different units. They have completely different units. As they buy them and put them into your de- into their deck, you learn what options they even have available. Uh, there's the same idea that like there is a tech tree with three kind of distinct paths to go down. Um, Maybe you go like just big units or maybe you go cloaked things or maybe you go lots of tokens. Uh, and those are three options that your your civilization or your faction has. And depending on who you're playing against, you might tr- choose certain strategies against them. So there's a ton of discovery to be had. From your explanation, it kind of reminds me a little bit of challengers. <laughs> no, it it is way more complicated than challengers. Yes, yeah, more complicated. But I wonder, like it makes me think that like, I wonder if there's like a future mode of challengers where you can like revamp, you know, depending on like what your opponent has done or like. Yes. Like if you had a, a best of three and then you had a sideboard, you could yeah, switch yeah. out your deck. Switch out your deck. I think that'd be really cool. And this does have that element of trying to adjust on the fly and, and adapt during the game. So how much yeah. deck building is in this game? So like, much. Yeah. Like, is it fifth? Half or hours deck figuring out what you want to play. Deck construction? Yes. No, there's deck no deck construction. construction. Oh. So you have no. a binder that has like 100 cards in it. Maybe not that many. 50 cards, let's say. And you have a, a starting deck like Dominion that just has, you know, a couple dollars in it. And you draw your starting hand of Dominion and you say, I have $3 to spend. Then you go through your binder to the first two pages because that's where all the cheap stuff is. You pull out a card. You put it into your discard pile. And you keep playing Dominion. So there's no, it's like a, it's a deck building game. It's not a deck construction game. Oh. But the cards you're buying, there's no market like Dominion. Instead, it's just a binder that you can buy cards out of. And your opponent has their own binder that they can buy cards out of. That's cool. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, and certain cards are gated. So it will say like, if you don't have three level one from this part of the tech tree, you can't buy a level two. And so you can't quite get everything right away. And stuff is gated by how much income you have and stuff like that as well. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, it, it's like competitive magic slash dominion where the cards you buy is from a, a deck that you have total control over 
which is presented to you at the beginning. You, you don't choose any of those cards. They're all just sitting there for you to choose from. It is the best version of like Starcraft that I have seen in a board game. And it's ranked very low for that reason. It's a really weird <laughs> thing to try to make work. And I don't think it totally captures it, but uh, it's cool enough to talk about for sure. And that is Codex, Card Time Strategy. Very cool. Did we do it? Yeah, Jim, any learnings from our, our list? Yeah, 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 yeah. What were you surprised by? What was I surprised by? Uh, no, nothing really surprising. I imagine a lot of the games that were lower ranked were going to be like filler-esque games that don't have a lot of depth in it. As you can tell from like board game geek, a lot of the top games tend to be more on the heavier side. So I wouldn't say anything really surprised me. Yeah, I, I agree. A lot of short experiences that are really fun or unique that we, I think, kind of like because of that. Yeah. Uh, and other people might find it, you know, more of a negative. Yeah, it's either or, it seems. Like, it's either ranked low because it's, like, maybe not as complete of an experience. Like, say, like, Nuts a Go-Go. <laughs> or it's something like Tricks of the Phantom, which is like a short experience but very hard to wrap your head around or like there's a lot to like unpack in the game that may not you know resonate with a lot of players like quickly yeah i would say have a think about what you like as a gamer and you know don't necessarily take a low ranking to mean it's a bad game yeah boarding Geek definitely sways towards certain types of games and certain types of experiences and it's, yeah, it's cool to see that and cool to see kind of what falls off their radar. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of The Discard Pile. We will be back soon with more talks on board games. The math trade is this week, so we should be getting some new games in and some new games out. And I'm sure we will talk about why we have let some games go and which ones we are excited to be in our collection. TCTC is also coming up in about a month. Uh, if you are listening to this date of release or about a week after, I'm going to be posting on our Discord a couple events that you can join if you're coming to TCTC. Uh, there'll be 8 to 16 player events where if you want to play with us, you will be able to join the games and play against us or with us in all sorts of large-scale convention games. Probably like two hours max, but uh, just some fun ways that we can enjoy the time at TCTC together and and see some people from the community. Thank you so much for listening. We always appreciate it. We will see you soon on our next episode. Bye-bye. So some intro, like, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes we play some bad games. <laughs> yeah, we, we, like, root through the gems to find the... The wait, coal? We root through the coal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the other way around. Wait, there's just 25,000 total? No, yeah. there's more. There, what? 25,807 really? games. Tic-tac-toe being the lowest. Come on, guys. Wow, that is... That makes some of these very low. Yeah, some of these are very low. <laughs> <laughs> that first game is in the bottom half of all board games. No, isn't that more than the bottom half? Yeah, it's yeah. definitely more than the bottom half. Coin Quest is in the bottom half. Well, I mean, my statement is still true. That, that's true, but you, I feel like it would have been a stronger statement if you were something like... I'm not here to make stronger statements. Uh, I toe yeah. the line.
I mean, it's like Hitler is. <laughs> no, no, don't. It's not a good idea. This can't end well. This cannot end well. Hitler is in the bottom half of dictators. <laughs> anyway. Yep. Can you find a photo of the game? Well, considering this is a podcast, it's neither here nor there. Like, it's literally comparing apples against oranges in some cases, right? Yes. Although, apples and oranges, there was a study that said they're pretty comparable. (laughs) They're both round fruits. They're both grown in trees. This is a trick-taking game called Cahoots. I mean, I guess it's not exactly trick-taking. There's no, well, it is. There's just no uh, Trump suit. I don't know. I'm going to go see if it says Cahoots game, if it says trick-taking on the thing. It does not. Oh, no. It's a card game. <laughs> oh, I've seen this cover. Oh, hey. wait. This is a different game. Uh-oh. Oh. There's, a, there's two Cahoots. Cahoots there's is two by Cahoots. the Coin Quest guy. That's so funny. The 2018 one. The 2007? No, this is not it either. There's two 2018 ones, and the other one is trick-taking. Yes. Nice, nice, nice. I love it. Okay. Oh, this one. I've seen the the cover. But it is funny it's the other designer. <laughs> and that was Merchants of Dunhuang. No, no, it wasn't. No, no. And that was Trixel the Phantom. Like, you need a big table, but you can lay out the cards. Well, look at and... this guy. Fancy enough to have <laughs> such a big table. Yeah. Well, actually, coming from the one of the largest table owners on this on this podcast. <laughs> actually, Robin is the largest table yeah. owner. Yeah. Do you have a large then, table? Then Jim, then me. Yeah. You're looking for those table size rankings. I don't know if I would call it trick-taking. Oh, it right. is. It is called trick-taking. <laughs> um... Do you know that Scapegoat is ranked 3,341? That's so low. It's so low. It's so good. I thought it came back in stock on Board Game Bliss, but... Did you know that Llama Dice is rated 3,708? <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know they came out with a dice game. Very good dice game, actually. Who's it for? AB. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just me. A dice version of a crowd pleaser. I did check off some stuff for Septima. Oh, well, there you go. Maybe we're going to get two copies of Septima. Unlikely with what well, I've... It's unlikely because I bought the copy in the math trade, so... Oh, <laughs> I see. So I should uncheck all these. We've got insider information now. 